a couple weeks ago, uh, we were talking about kind of some songs that kind of prepare you for the season, right? These songs that kind of enter you into this season of Advent, this season of preparation and of waiting. And uh, I will admit, uh, one of the other things that really gets me ready uh, that I just love, I'm a huge movie buff. And so movies for me kind of set me up. They kind of help set the tone. They set the season for me. And so one of the movies in our house uh, that we watch almost every year, graciously uh, by my family, is The Miracle on 34th Street. Uh, we watch, uh, yeah, there we go. But the new, the new 90s version. So I know it's an atrocity. Lord, <laughs> I come. I'm <laughs> such a millennial. Oh, man. <laughs> Anyways, uh, if you don't know the story of Miracle on 34th Street, essentially what happens is the real Santa Claus uh, gets hired by a department store. And kind of through a series of unfortunate events, Santa Claus finds himself in a court of law on Christmas Eve, and the judge is faced with the impossible task of, does he send this guy who sounds crazy, like this is the real Santa Claus, and put Santa Claus away, or does he free Santa, but how on earth does he do that? Now, as kind of a high point of at least the 90s uh, version of this story, uh, Susan, this kind of main character, she comes forward and puts a dollar bill on the judge's kind of stand, uh, and at the top he sees it says, in God we trust. And so uh, he makes this proclamation. He's about to kind of unfortunately commit Santa Claus, but what he does is he says, if the government can issue currency with a statement of faith, that is on a statement of faith on behalf of the people, then myself as judge on behalf of the people of New York, because every Christmas movie takes place in New York, right? <laughs> and so uh, on behalf of all the people of New York, I can declare that Santa Claus is real, and it is real in this person, Kris Kringle, woo! And the thousands and hundreds of thousands of people outside go crazy, and it's wonderful, right? Great movie. Weird storyline, but a great movie. And so I got me thinking about uh, this judge, and this judge in particular uh, is kind of faced with a really unique challenge. What's he going to do in upholding the law while also trying to figure out, like, how is he going to handle the situation with Santa Claus? Like, what are you supposed to do with this? And so this judge, while upholding the law, he engages with some pretty significant creativity. And what, I, what I, as I've been reflecting on this movie and the kind of why this high point scene is just so profound is because I think what this judge does is he invites people beyond kind of their black and white categories of how they understand the law, right? It's not that he's not trying to uphold the law, but he's inviting people to kind of move beyond what they can reason between what's right and what's wrong, uh, kind of black and white for sure. And he instead, he invites the people to faith. Right? He says, some of these things you, you have to believe. Like, it might not be perfectly cut and dry. It might not be perfectly understood. But in faith, if we can proclaim in faith on behalf of the people, then so we will say that Santa Claus is real. Uh, you might be asking, how on earth are you going to tie this to the Advent story? Uh, that is a great question. I'm trying to figure that out myself. No, uh, uh, it got me really thinking, though, about our faith and how in faith it is so much easier if we have black and white answers Right? If we know exactly how it's supposed to go, then it can feel confident. I know that this is the right thing. I know I'm going to do the right thing. And so if we have a black and white answer and we follow the letter of the law, then everything will go well. 
And I've realized that this Advent story and the story we're going to look at in particular today, it invites us into some creativity of the way that God is at work in the world, still upholding the law, still honoring what the law asks of us and of people, and still honoring what those boundaries are, but there's a creativity to invite people beyond what they can see in black and white categories. Now, uh, this season of, of Advent, uh, we've been in this series, has been, been looking at these different perspectives of different people in the Advent story. Uh, in total transparency, Pastor Britt and I, we picked this uh, series because we thought it'd be really straightforward, right? We're just going to give you straightforward kind of answers about these perspectives, and it's going to be great. It's going to be more black and white, kind of really obvious. And as we've been kind of engaging in this and kind of discerning, it's not been quite the way that we expected that it was going to go. I think God has invited us to seeing things, not just different perspectives of different people, but a different perspective of those people, right? The, uh, this morning, we're going to be talking about legalism, right? Uh, that's not like one of the four Advent candles, right? It's not love, joy, peace, and legalism. That's not typically the kind of thing that we talk about in the season of Advent. But I think what we've started to realize is uh, there's, a, there's an invitation for us when we really kind of wrestle with this different perspective, this other way of understanding what God is inviting us to, this perhaps creativity beyond what we can kind of naturally see as black and white categories at times. Uh, we even, I mean, even this uh, series graphic, uh, it's kind of this warm and fuzzy nostalgia, right? Like, oh, come, let us adore like, this is a great thing. Uh, Pastor Scott this last week kind of keenly pointed out, uh, Daryl, can you actually go back? Oh, no, it's actually on the bottom, because you can see it on the bottom here. It says, oh, come let us adore him. Uh, Pastor Scott kind of keenly pointed out to me at staff meeting that that's, that comma is supposed to come after come, right? Oh, come let us adore him, right? Uh, that is more correct. That's how it's supposed to be. My mistake, fully own the, the mistake. I put it in the wrong spot. However... God used this as an invitation for me to understand a little bit more, I think, of what this series is about. And uh, it's, it's kind of a profound uh, shift for me to think it's like, oh, come, let us adore him. Right? This is beyond just kind of the warm, fuzzy nostalgia, which is so good. And we want to hold warm, fuzzy nostalgia. There is nothing wrong with warm, fuzzy nostalgia. But as I was uh, invited to see, or perhaps kind of obsess over my imperfections, <laughs> I realized that God was using this to help me understand the series that we're trying to really get at is, oh, come let us adore him. That there's a different perspective invites us that adoration isn't always just warm, fuzzy nostalgia, but that sometimes we need a pregnant pause to come and adore God and to see the kind of depth and the richness of what God is doing in the Advent story. And so this morning, we're going to be looking at the story of Joseph. Uh, and again, not at all how we would anticipate. Also, just to reiterate, uh, like Pastor Britta said last week in her sermon, we are not trying to give a different perspective to be cool or edgy or like a hip millennial, right? That's, like not, that's not at all why we're trying to do this. We really have honestly thought it was going to be different. And we've just sought to be faithful to what God has, we thought, has told us. And so we're just kind of offering that as an opportunity for this formation in us. And so as we're looking at Joseph, uh, the two kind of categories I want to hold before us this morning are uh, what I'm going to talk about is rigid legalism and creative righteousness, okay? Rigid legalism and creative righteousness. And there's uh, 
kind of some curiosities behind that and uh, rigid legalism, right, in the story of Miracle on 34th Street would be that Santa Claus is in prison, right? But this creative righteousness is still upholding the law. It's not that you can just get the law to say whatever you want the law to say, but that there's some creative righteousness that sees kind of the, what's the bigger picture here? What are the things that we can't maybe discern that are black and white on holding things in faith and being invited into belief? And so I want to encourage you uh, to take your Bible out, and we're going to be right at the beginning of the New Testament. So uh, Matthew, the Gospel of Matthew, is the first book in the New Testament. The last two-thirds, obviously, is the Old, or the first two-thirds is the Old Testament. We shift over to the New Testament here in Matthew. Matthew chapter 1. Uh, the words will also be on the screen in just a moment. Uh, just an introductory uh, thing. Before this, we have all of this genealogy that's kind of outlining kind of the genealogy of Jesus. There's some other really profound things happening in this, and I'll kind of touch on them a little bit later. But really, all that's doing is that's setting up to say all of the Old Testament, the other two-thirds of these Jewish scriptures, all of that story is interwoven, and it reaches a high point with Jesus coming. Do you kind of see how that is? So this genealogy helps us to see all of the story of how God has been active in the world through God's people has reached this significant high point through Jesus. Does that kind of make sense? That's what the genealogy sets up for us. Okay, so we're going to jump then to chapter 1, verse 18, starting uh, with the account of Jesus. This is how the birth of Jesus, the Messiah, came about. His mother Mary was pledged to be married to Joseph, but before they came together, she was found to be pregnant through the Holy Spirit. Because Joseph, her husband, was faithful to the law and yet did not want to expose her to public disgrace, he had in mind to divorce her quietly. But after he had considered this, an angel of the Lord appeared to him in a dream and said, Joseph, son of David, do not be afraid to take Mary home as your wife, because what is conceived in her is from the Holy Spirit. She will give birth to a son, and you are to give him the name Jesus, because he will save his people from their sins. All this took place to fulfill what the Lord had said through the prophet, the virgin will conceive and give birth to a son, and they will call him Emmanuel, which means God with us. When Joseph woke up, he did what the angel had commanded him and took Mary home as his wife. But he did not consummate their marriage until she gave birth to a son. And he gave him the name Jesus. The word of God for the people of God. Thanks be to God. Now, I want us to explore a little bit uh, how Joseph, I think, emulates uh, this idea of creative righteousness. But that I think this idea of creative righteousness is kind of interwoven throughout all of the text. And something that I think uh, we always have to remember is anytime we talk about these other characters, it's always centered around who Jesus is, right? It's, it's how they relate in the context to what Jesus does and how Jesus has uniquely ushered in something absolutely brand new. And what I love about how Matthew starts his gospel uh, is he starts this story in particular too. He starts with the genealogy, but then he says, this is how the birth of Jesus the Messiah came about. Now, when I saw this this week, I was like, there's a couple things that was just like, holy cow. Uh, The word that's used for birth isn't the typical word that's often used for birth in the New Testament. The word that's used for birth here is the word Genesis. Have you ever heard the word Genesis before? Uh, For those who don't know, Genesis is the first book of the Bible. And Genesis is about the beginning of something. It's about the brand new creation that is happening, right? In the beginning, God created. This is Genesis. And what Matthew says here 
is that this is the account of the genesis of Jesus. That through the coming of Jesus, something brand new is happening. There's a whole new kind of creative work that's being invited into the creation story. How God was at work from the very before time began. That now through the coming of Jesus, this brand new genesis is taking place. Isn't that like so beautiful? It just like was this invitation for me to see like, oh, there's this brand new thing that's happening. There's this new creative way that God is going to engage with the world through Jesus. And so Matthew goes on to say then that Mary was pledged to be married to Joseph, but before they came together, literally what it says there is, before Mary and Joseph's households were assembled together, before Mary and Joseph's households were assembled together, she was found to be pregnant through the Holy Spirit. Talk about a difference from rigid legalism to creative righteousness. Right, the creative activity of God is that these two households, Mary's and Joseph's households, should come and be assembled together, but God is doing a brand new thing and assembling God's self within Mary's womb. This is dramatically creative righteousness. This is not how they thought it was supposed to go. This is not what Joseph was expecting. This wasn't the rigid legalism that he had in mind. And so then here's what it tells us about Joseph. And I just, I so resonate with this guy. Uh, I feel like, man, Joseph and I would be buddies. Uh, (laughs) Verse 19, because Joseph, her husband, was faithful to the law. Literally the word, because he was righteous. Right? Because Joseph was righteous, he was faithful to the law, and yet did not want to expose her to public disgrace, he had in mind to divorce her quietly. That was depicted so beautifully this morning, by the way, in our drama. I just want to say thank you again to Sue for her work in writing those. I mean, it's just been such an invitation uh, into the story. And the line that just caught me so well this morning, especially because, again, we're talking about legalism this morning, uh, is when Reuben said, well, you know what the law says, Joseph. Right? You know what the law says. And this is the kind of integritous person that Joseph was. He was considered a righteous man, someone that wanted to uphold the faithfulness of the law. But here's what I'm getting at with this idea, the difference between rigid legalism and creative righteousness. Because rigid legalism would say that if someone was found to be pregnant before kind of the final betrothal, so they've been betrothed to each other kind of in an extended engagement period, which is how we would understand in kind of our modern day, uh, if if uh, someone was found to be pregnant ahead of that, the letter of the law says that you are supposed to bring that person before public court. Right, Santa versus New York, Mary versus the people. And if you were to follow the letter of the law, what's supposed to happen is because Mary has been found to be pregnant, not at Joseph's doing, and so because Mary is found to be pregnant, the letter of the law would then say that as she's brought before the court of law, she's then to be tried, and if she's found guilty, she's killed. This is what the letter of the law, the rigid legality of the day, was intended for Mary. Because by all accounts, nobody would think that God would be creating something totally brand new. They had never understood. They didn't have a framework for this kind of concept. And so it says that Joseph wanted to honor his personal righteousness with God, to be in right relationship with God by honoring the law. 
And at the same time, he wanted to hold the right relationship with God with right relationship with Mary. He didn't want her to have to face this kind of extreme uh, consequence for something that she had claimed didn't even happen. And so because Joseph is righteous, there's this creative righteousness that exists where Joseph learns that uh, there's this uh, scripture or these kind of scrolls that are called the Talmud, and they're, uh, they're describing how the law can be interpreted. And so one of the places in the Talmud that talks about the law says that you can have a ceremony to kind of have a divorcing with just two people. That would be considered public. And so this is probably what Joseph had in mind, that he's going to still uphold his integrity. He's going to uphold the righteousness that he has in the law between himself and God. But while upholding that, he also wants to have compassion, which is itself kind of the righteousness of God to be in right relationship with Mary. And so he's going to divorce her quietly so that she's not faced with public disgrace. And then if you follow the letter of the law to a T, to be killed. And this is the kind of creative righteousness that I'm talking about and the difference that this story invites with Joseph, who is this person who uh, is holding his personal purity and his desire to be in right relationship with God, with right relationship with other people. And so then in verse 20, uh, it says that after he considered this, literally after he had figured this out, after he had figured out how to both honor his commitments to God and to be gracious and compassionate to his betrothed, it says, an angel of the Lord appeared to him in a dream and said, Joseph, son of David, do not be afraid. And this angel confirms what Mary has said, that this new creative work through God is taking place in Mary, and it confirms her story. And then what the angel of the Lord asks Joseph to do is to name this child Jesus. Now, naming in the Bible uh, carried a, a bit of a different weight than we often understand kind of naming in our own modern day, right? We often pick names based on kind of family lineage or kind of what sounds good to us. There's richness of names in other cultures also. But in the Bible, that not only did naming have to do kind of with the lineage or the family that was associated with it, but naming in the Bible articulated the role that you played, one of the things that God might be calling you to as you are named. And especially when naming obviously comes from the voice of God itself, right? The angel of the Lord has appeared and said, you will name him Jesus. Now, this name Jesus actually is relatively common in those days, and it's tied to an Old Testament name, Joshua, which means God saves. And in the Old Testament, Joshua was the one who led the people out of, well, kind of out of the wilderness. Moses had led them out of captivity and out of the wilderness into the promised land. He had saved God's people and brought them into this kind of new land. And what the angel of the Lord is doing here in calling uh, this, this person Jesus and naming him Jesus, that God will save us, what's so profound about this to me is it isn't just that Jesus is going to save the people from captivity. Jesus is going to save the people from sin itself. Right? God save us. This is the culmination, this creative new thing that God is doing, this creative righteousness of calling Jesus to not just save people from their captivity, but to save them from their sins themselves. Now, what reconciled the people with God before this? The law. Right? The law is what the people followed so that they might be in right relationship and in reconciled relationship with God. And so when the angel comes and tells Joseph to name 
this son, Jesus, it's to say that something brand new is happening. There's a brand new kind of creation that's taking place. And later on, Jesus will say of himself, I have not come to abolish the law. I'm not getting rid of these things, but I've come to fulfill them. Because people on their own cannot access God directly through the law because no one can do this perfectly. Rigid legalism doesn't work. We can't accomplish those things. Those boundaries are important, but they set up the dynamic of relationship with God, and we cannot do it by ourselves. And so Jesus comes, and as talked about, as Emmanuel, God with us, to reconcile us to God, to save us from our sin. Do you see how profoundly beautiful the names are in this passage and throughout all Scripture, really? But that the name of this boy, of this son of God incarnate, God made flesh, literally walking among us, is to not just save us from captivity, but to save us from sin itself, to be the fulfillment of the law, this brand new creative righteousness that God is instituting through Jesus. Now, there's something else about this naming that I hadn't understood before. And that is, when the angel tells Joseph to name, uh, to name him Jesus, naming in that culture by the male was to confirm that that person was a part of that family, right? And so if you look at the lineage uh, beforehand, uh, you see all of the kind of different names, and it ties Joseph to David. Now, this is a big deal because in the Old Testament, the, the people of God, they believed that the Messiah, the one who would save them, who would reconcile them ultimately between God and one another, that this person would be a descendant of the line of David. And so I always kind of wondered, when I got to this point in the story, like, well, if Joseph isn't Jesus' biological father, how exactly does that work with being kind of a, a lineage of David, right? He's not a descendant. <clears throat> what is being happening here is the angel of the Lord is asking Joseph to name this child. And in naming the child, what he is doing is changing the legal standing of Jesus as a descendant from the line of David. Do you see what creativity that is? The creative righteousness that God is inviting, right? I have to admit, rigid legalism, which I hold to more often than I like to admit, rigid legalism is like, that's not exactly right. Right? He's not a biological descendant, but in those days, it was equated. It was a legal shifting that this is Joseph's son, even though there might not be biological connections. It's like an adoption of this person. And so Jesus is then confirmed to be in the line of David. This creative righteousness that God is interweaving within this story, that God is doing something brand new through Jesus. It's incredible how God is just writing this story. And so then it says that as soon as Joseph woke up, he did what the angel of the Lord had commanded him, and he took Mary home as his wife. He kind of didn't do exactly what the rigid legalism should have said he should do. He trusted that God was doing something brand new, this creative righteousness to invite God and God's people to be in reconciled relationship through Jesus. And then it says, but he did not consummate their marriage until she gave birth to a son. Now, the little, literal translation there says that Mary and Joseph did not know each other until Jesus was born. 
And I, I want to uh, just sit with this for just a moment because I think, I think this really actually illustrates pretty beautifully uh, the difference between rigid legalism and this creative righteousness. Right? In those days, a common euphemism for sex was to say that they didn't know each other. But do you see how unbelievably beautiful that language is? Right? So the Jewish people in the day, they would have understood this kind of their sexuality in the context of their faith. They would have understood this as knowing one another. How vulnerable do you have to be to be known by someone else? Right? The, how, how challenging is it to seek to actually truly know another person, to hold the vulnerability that you're being asked to know someone else? This is the kind of uh, intimacy that's often talked about between God and people, and there's this knowing that you're seeking to hold this intimate space between one another. And you see that the boundaries that exist when we talk about sexuality are to kind of hold this creative righteousness, this knowing how rich is that? And I have to admit that I think that unfortunately sometimes in the church when we talk about sexuality, most often we center on rigid legalism. We focus on the boundary and we say don't do this and don't do that, especially don't do that, don't do this, you're not good if you don't do these things. And we push people away because we focus on the boundary and we miss what the boundary is trying to hold. It doesn't mean that we jettison conviction. It doesn't mean that we don't still hold those boundaries, but we focused on keeping those boundaries instead of holding what those boundaries hold. This creative righteousness is this way in which God is inviting people to know and be known. This is an intimate thing. And so the boundaries exist to help uphold that reality of this new creative righteousness that God is doing. Now, I will fully admit, if you have grown up with a faith foundation that has been more about right and wrong answers, or if you have perceived that Christianity is more about legalism, this is incredibly disorienting. This idea of creative righteousness, it messed me up this week. I am more, more often than not, I function in life out of a legalistic perspective. I function out of what I think is right and what is wrong because I want to do the right thing. My desire is to just do the right thing. But you see, I think what's happened when we do that is that we've mistaken righteousness with rightness. Right? Rightness is concerned about finding the right answer. But righteousness is about finding right relationships. Do you hear the difference between those things? If we hold rightness, it's about finding the right answer. What am I supposed to do? I want to do the right thing. And there is nothing wrong with that. That's, that's beautiful to seek to uphold uh, the right relationship with God. But when we focus on rightness and we're pursuing the answer, instead of focusing on righteousness and pursuing Jesus and one another, we miss the, the relational connectivity that Jesus intended. You see, when Jesus comes and is called to reconcile us from sin, Jesus doesn't come and give another laundry list of laws. He doesn't come and give a bunch more rules. Jesus comes and says, I have come not to abolish the law, but to fulfill it. And you come to God by coming to me in relationship. 
And the thing that Jesus calls people to do is to love God and love others, which is way more complicated. Right? If I know rigid legalism, what's right and what's wrong, if I do the right thing, then I'm safe and I'm set and I'm good. But this creative righteousness that Jesus invites us into is to hold the space of relationship. How am I pursuing right relationship with God and with one another? How am I seeking to love God and love each other? Not jettisoning the law, not getting the Bible to say whatever we want the Bible to say. That's a danger on kind of all fronts. But to hold instead what God invites us to into right relationship with God and with one another through Jesus. This gets especially complicated when we find ourselves thinking that how we're following Jesus looks one way and someone thinks an entirely different kind of way. And as I've been trying to kind of visualize this, it kind of helped me realize it's helpful to kind of visualize the difference between rightness and righteousness. And so I've asked uh, Pastor Britta if she would join me uh, to kind of model this. You can come on up here. You're okay to come up here? Perfect. You take your time. Um, Yep, right, just like this. You can actually even come further. You can, if you're okay. Okay. So the difference between rightness and righteousness is this, okay? So if rightness looks like this, I am pursuing the right answer. And can you do the same thing I'm doing? Okay, so rightness says I'm pursuing the right answer. This is what it means to follow Jesus the right way. And if I do this, first of all, what's the dynamic between the person next to me and myself? We're, we're not on the same page, right? We're, we're not looking at each other. We, I mean, we might look over our shoulder. You might be looking at me. We might be looking over our shoulder trying to say like, hey, come and do what, I, like, are you going to come over here, right? Uh, the mathematicians in the room, if, if an arrow goes in this direction and her arrow is going in that direction, will we ever meet? No. Right? If we're pursuing the right answer, all we're going to do is get further and further apart from each other, Right? And this is what it means to uh, desire rightness, that I'm going to do the right thing. I, it's understandable. It's, it's, uh, I wish I could kind of capture, because it's in me. I want to pursue the right thing. I want to have the right answer. But to still hold the law, to still hold that conviction, but to do so in the context of seeking right relationship looks more like this. And you, yeah, and then open. Do you see the difference? Can you feel the difference? We're still holding the conviction, right? We're still holding what we seek to follow Jesus in. But when we're holding that conviction, there's a space between us that we're holding that thing together. We're looking at each other. And my posture isn't like, I'm going to get you with my right answer, right? I'm going to hold that thing with you as we seek to be in reconciled relationship with God and with each other, this holy thing, this creative righteousness that God is creating between us. This is what I think Jesus came to do. And this is why I think Jesus chose Joseph as the heavenly, not the heavenly father, the earthly father. Because Joseph modeled, he desired for this creative righteousness where he wanted to uphold his kind of faithfulness to God at the same time having compassion for his betrothed. And he held his convictions in this kind of space. And Jesus came as God with us, God among us, God walking in flesh and blood incarnate to save us from our sins, not to point to the right answer, but to invite us into right relationship to hold this space with God. Oh, come, let us adore him. Would you pray with me?
Jesus, I admit, this kind of messes me up. I just want to do the right thing. I want to know the right answer so that I can be safe and secure that I'm following you the right way. And God, as I've been reflecting this week, I've felt this invitation, and I believe an invitation to extend to our community, and that is that we are invited into this creative righteousness to certainly still uphold and hold conviction, to certainly still pursue you and to still pursue these boundaries, but not to forget what the boundaries are holding and to be invited instead to hold that space, to hold the boundary, to be held in creative righteousness. So we pray this morning. O holy child of Bethlehem, descend to us, we pray. Cast out our sin and enter in. Be born in us today. We hear the Christmas angels, the great glad tidings tell. O come to us, abide with us, our Lord Emmanuel.